Welcome to the Scholars and Storytellers podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. This episode, recorded on June 27th, 2021, is titled Why Queer Media is Important for Everyone with Linz Amer, Michelle Denise Jackson, and Kim Wilson, moderated by Sheena Brevig. Linz Amer, they, them, is the founder and CEO of digital edutainment company Queer Kid Creative and a writer, producer, and co-host of the web series Queer Kid Stuff. Michelle Denise Jackson, she, her, is a writer and producer known for HBO Max's Generation, owns Queen Sugar and the upcoming Netflix series Made and Pieces of Her. Kim Wilson, she, her, is the director and co-founder of the children's media-focused One Fish, Two Fish consulting team and a CSS senior fellow. Our moderator, Sheena Brevig, she, her, is the CSS junior fellow and a filmmaker who is passionate about using storytelling as advocacy for mental health and disability awareness, particularly in her LGBTQ and Asian communities. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy. And I will just quickly kick off um, by introducing our incredible moderator um, tonight and for all these CSS events. Uh, Sheena Brevig is a CSS junior fellow. She's a social impact filmmaker and relationship and communication coach with a background in neuroscience, which is just really cool. Uh, She is the co-creator of the digital series Crazy, which is a queer Asian mental health web series, which premiered in Canada's main LGBTQ plus film festival, Inside Out. She is passionate about using science and storytelling to advocate for mental health and disability awareness, particularly in her LGBTQ plus and Asian communities. Wow, uh, just so much to unpack and incredible stuff in there. And, and honestly, you should have in there also an expert moderator. So with that, I will pass this over to Sheena. Thank you, Sheena. Thank you so much, Colleen. Um, I mean, I have, I'm about to introduce some three <laughs> amazing people that we have in this conversation. Linz Amer, who uh, creates LGBTQ plus and social justice media for kids and families. They use they, them pronouns and are the founder of, and CEO of Queer Kid Creative, a digital edutainment company spreading queer joy through queer-centered, intersectional, all-ages media. They write, produce, and co-host Queer Kid Stuff, which is amazing, you all, an original LGBTQ educational web series for all ages and supplementary educational resources. They perform songs and stories for families across the country, and they also produce and host a brand new family-friendly podcast called Activist You, where they interview kids and youth activists. Thank you, Linz, for being here. And next, we have Michelle Denise Jackson, who is a writer and storyteller from Southern California. Born into a family of educators, Michelle began her career as a community organizer and facilitator teaching sex education for Planned Parenthood and leading numerous youth empowerment programs before transitioning into a writing career. In 2017, she received her MFA in screenwriting from USC, then went on to work as a writer's PA on Grey's Anatomy and writer's assistant on Mrs. America. And since 2019, she has staffed on highly anticipated shows, including Generation, Made, and Pieces of Her. She was most recently a co-producer on OWN's Queen Sugar, created by Ava DuVernay, 
and she is also a part-time faculty in USC's screenwriting program. Currently, Michelle is in the early stages of writing a book and has various projects in development. So grateful to have you, Michelle, as part of this conversation. And last but not least, Kim Wilson is the director, co-founder of One Fish, Two Fish Consulting, a team of media consultants who use child development principles, educational objectives, current research, a focus on inclusion, equity, diversity, and expertise in children's media to ensure that projects are educationally on track and developmentally appropriate for the end user. She is also the co-director and co-founder of the Ryerson's Children's Media Lab, leading the research team in timely and impactful research reports that bring academic research in an insightful way to the production community in Canada. Kim is a longtime industry veteran in educational content, working in executive leadership positions for over 25 years in Canada's public broadcasters, TV Ontario, and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. She is also a senior fellow and media consultant for the Centre for Scholars and Storytellers. Wow. Uh, Colleen, like you said about my bio, I feel like there is so much here that we could just talk about uh, for hours. And so thank you all again for being here. Thank you to our listeners. And I'm going to start by just highlighting that today's the title of today's conversation, uh, I ended up going with why queer media is important for everyone. Because yes, as a queer filmmaker myself and storyteller, I'm always talking about, you know, why it's important for our community to feel seen and belong and represented. But it is actually really important for society at large as we push for inclusivity and acceptance. So I'm kind of kind of start with just a big question for everyone about why do you believe LGBTQ inclusive content is important for everyone, both those in the community and those who don't identify as part of it? I'll jump in. It's Kim. And I, I just, I think it's really important when we're talking about kids media, you know, we always talk about this notion that media is a mirror and a window. So you talk about the importance. It's really important for, for me as a gay person, for uh, children who identify in a number of ways to see themselves reflected. It's so important for it to be a mirror, but equally important is this whole idea of a window. And I think in particular around LGBTQ plus issues and characters and learning about the world, there are so many children who live in parts of the country, of North America, of the world who aren't exposed to those stories. And it really is so very important because it's that kind of opportunity to learn and go beyond your small chunk of wherever you are. And the more we all talk about diversity, and diversity includes LGBTQ, disabilities, all of those things, and the more that we see that there's a range of people who are different from them in any number of ways, but equally awesome and fantastic, you know, it makes people more empathetic, more generous people who, you know, welcome and celebrate differences. So I think it's so important. And in particular, it's important in children's media from a very young age. Kids media, we, you know, we always talk about, we're not born with biases. Those biases happen out in the world. So we in the media business really need to be celebrating all those various stories. So kids see both this mirror and also this kind of idea of a window to the world for kids who don't have that exposure. As a human being and as a storyteller, you know, when I look back at the education that I received around just any kind of social movement, any kind of, you know, political identity, often I didn't learn about LGBTQ plus trailblazers and I didn't learn that part of my history and I also I didn't come out until I was 27 28 years old and part of that was also because no one really tells you like 
what it's supposed to feel like when you're queer. <laughs> and so I had all these feelings growing up and I didn't really know how to process them and, and what to do with them. And I think had I been exposed to different kinds of stories, exposed to different kinds of ways to identify as queer, ways to understand and embrace my own queerness, maybe that would have helped me. And then, you know, as someone who watched just so much TV growing up, so much of what I've learned about the world, about myself, about how to relate to others, about how to understand others' experiences really did come from television and the media I consumed. And so part of the reason I wanted to become a television writer and producer was because the work I was doing as an educator, as a facilitator, specifically through Planned Parenthood, was a lot of unpacking harmful stereotypes and, and narratives that media promotes about sexuality and about sex and, and bodies and relationships. And so to me, it's it's really it's a responsibility of storytellers now to make sure that not only are we telling those stories, but we're telling them responsibly, authentically, and that we're, we're capturing like the full breadth of what it means to be a queer person or a trans person or a non-binary person because, you know, stories help make the world. Yeah. And just uh, absolutely echoing everything Kim and Michelle have said uh, for sure. And just, uh, I, you know, I, I make work that I wish that I had when I was a kid as someone who was like gender non-conforming and queer and pretty confused and didn't really have the language to advocate for myself and how I felt about my gender and, and how I wanted to move through the world. And with all of that, I grew up with an immense amount of privilege. And there are portions of the LGBTQ plus community that are incredibly vulnerable because of the lack of representation and you know a whole host of a lot of other things. But I think queer and trans youth in particular are incredibly vulnerable, especially right now with anti-trans legislation, specifically targets kids happening in legislations right in governments right now. And yeah, I think that media plays a huge part in that because I think that if we had trans kids in shows, in our media, in the stories that we see every day in the cultural narrative, that there wouldn't be so much confusion around how living your life that way and, and you know, using they them pronouns and being trans and loving who you love. And so yeah, I think that it's it's a really important hopefully fixed to a really, really large problem, or at least a tiny bit of a solution. I was just going to say to that, Sheena, I think you're hitting on something that separates this from some of the other inclusion areas, just because there is so much research that talks about trans youth and LGBTQ youth, you know, who are struggling. And we all know that the rates of suicide are higher, depression are higher. So it is different in terms of terrible when girls don't see themselves in positions where they're taking on these amazing science roles or various things. And we could talk about that in terms of how that impacts their expectations and what their dreams are for the future. But this has even more reaching impacts because of the mental health issues I think that are associated and even more reason why this is an issue that we need to kind of bring to the forefront more. I feel in the inclusion part LGBTQ and disabilities are dragging behind a little bit in some of the other areas and you know that's why I'm so excited that we're doing this conversation today. Thank you all so much for that. Man, I, I have so many thoughts. It, you know, Kim, I, thank you for jumping in. And also, Kim, Michelle, Lynn, feel free to jump in at any point in terms of this conversation. It's very much a conversation, and I want you all to feel like you can chime in here and there and go off of each other. Um, but Kim, you know, you mentioned kind of LGBTQ and disability. 
uh, are kind of falling, dragging behind. And disability work is also something I'm, or advocacy work is also something I'm interested in with the brother with cerebral palsy. So it's a huge part of my life. And I just recently learned about how disability inclusive workplaces uh, achieve 28% higher revenue, 30% higher profit margins, 90% higher retention rates, and 72% increase in employee productivity. So, it, you know, sometimes it's just like, it's amazing what can happen when we actually think of things in an inclusive way. And I do agree that um, these two communities often get left out. And I know there's been a lot of disability work recently released, even I think Nike released this big DI kind of report and disability wasn't mentioned in it, I believe. Seen so many more LGBTQ plus characters and there does seem to be so much more representation on screen. However, we have all of this stuff happening in our policies, like Lynn's mentioned, you know, there are kind of these anti-trans laws that are not just being proposed, five states that have actually passed them and 30 states that have proposed them. And these laws limit the ability for young transgender people to receive certain medical treatments or play on sports teams and that match their gender identity. I'm, I'm curious if any of you kind of have thoughts or are comfortable sharing your personal thoughts around kind of where this disconnect is coming from. You're seeing it at all in kind of your workspaces as well becoming like a conservative talking point. It's essentially the new marriage equality in terms of how it's being positioned by conservative politicians. And so it's becoming kind of like a rallying point for uh, far right folks who need uh, uh, an ideology to rally around, right? So I think it's a lot of especially, you know, trans activists that I know and hear speak about this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually based in Maine. <laughs> and so we, uh, it's kind of, it's a very purple state. And uh, it, the trans activists here are kind of the sports bill. It's just, it's not founded. Uh, those bills that are going around, they're not founded in any kind of facts. <laughs> um, it's all kind of like red herrings that conservatives are, are throwing out to be able to make a hoopla around um, a new kind of LGBT topic to, to to cause a stir about, right? And that's getting the media attention. And it's at the cost of the literal lives of children. Then the other side of it that I think is really interesting is that I think it's kind of an equal and opposite reaction from the left, where I'm seeing a lot more people who are curious about trans youth, who are curious about their kids who are starting to identify as queer and trans because the it's like one in five Gen Z identify as somewhere on the LGBTQ plus community and queer or trans, which is an incredible statistic and, and really shows, you know, how much things are just like exponentially growing as each new generation has more representation that they're seeing. So uh, yeah, it's kind of this like twofold thing that's happening that's like really, really awful and negative and has a lot of intense consequences, but then also is like pushing things forward and like revving up the discourse in a way that like is going to help propel us forward into this new hopefully space of LGBTQ plus representation in media and just like a general discourse that's a lot wider. But yeah, so that's kind of an interesting dynamic to see unfold right now. 
And I would just add, I really do think, I mean, I totally agree what you said in terms of, you know, drawing more attention, because I do think moments are important in terms of making social change, like making change happen. You know, there, you know, George Floyd's death that had huge impact. The Black Lives Matter movement had huge impact on people who should have been paying more attention and suddenly started to pay more attention. In Canada, which is where I am, of course, you know, in the last two weeks, we've had, you know, just an awful um, discovery of unmarked graves of uh, Indigenous children who were torn away from their families and taken to residential schools. And it's a really bad part of our history. But I think if you can look at any silver lining in any of these moments, it's that moments create change and more awareness. And it's awful that it has to take these kinds of things, but sometimes it can actually, and maybe I'm just the eternal optimist, but I do think sometimes it can make positive change happen because of the awareness is so much greater. And I definitely think we need more awareness to move the dial forward because our goal is always just to keep moving it forward. You know, this week I was on a panel in Mexico. Well, I wish I was in Mexico. I was in Canada on Zoom, of course, but I was on a panel and it was with young content creators in Mexico. And I was talking about, you know, inclusion. And we we're mostly talking about, you know, male, female representation in kids programs and race. And every question was about how can we get more LGBTQ stories out there? Because in Mexico, of course, uh, it's a predominantly Roman Catholic communities, and it's really hard. They're getting a lot of pushback. And I think part of it is to remember, you, you know, you can't do it all right away. You just have to continue to fight, express and, you know, move the dial forward and keep trying to push, push a little bit further to get more and more of those stories out. Yeah. And just, you know, to add on to what's already been said, I don't tend to think about, you know, what we see in media of like more of those stories being told, more of those experiences being um, more widely explored on screen as a disconnect from the policies, the very harmful, very discriminatory, oppressive policies and the rise of those. Like, I think, <laughs> I think the rise in those policies are a reaction to, to people being able to have greater representation as, you know, culture moves forward, that, that challenges the status quo, that challenges the status quo of like cis hetero patriarchy, that, that challenges the status quo of white supremacy. And so obviously that's power and people don't want to give up power. And as they lose control over the culture, um, the thing that they, they can hold on to more is the, is the politics and the policy and, and enacting these really harmful regressive policies to try to to stimmy the cultural movement and progress that's happening. Um, and so I think it's just like what everyone else has said, it's we can't get lazy about the representations and the portrayals that, that we see. We have to, and then also that representation is not enough, right? That it matters. It absolutely matters, but it's it's the foundation to what these movements are and that those that I'm always... I'm always uh, suspicious of anytime I start to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the Lord's work because <laughs> I'm a TV writer and, you know, I wrote a queer character in my pilot or something like that, that um, it goes beyond that, that there has to be real actionable change that, that happens beyond, you know, social media, that happens beyond television and, and film to, to combat what those policies are. So yeah, that's just my two cents. 
Hi, listeners. We hope that you're enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. The Center for Scholars and Storytellers is an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between scholars and storytellers to promote positive youth development. Are you interested in learning more about the other projects we are working on? Check out our website at scholarsandstorytellers.com and find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Scholars and Storytellers. Now, back to the conversation. Thank you all for sharing. That was really interesting. And I, I love that this kind of idea of, you know, yes, there are some scary things happening, but, it, you know, let, let it keep us moving forward. Kind of more positive note, coming back to the impact of media on society and culture, there's this great kind of stat that looked at kind of racial bias during the eight years Obama was president. Researchers actually found that there was no shift in unconscious race bias those years as president, as Obama was president. Um, however, during that same time period, they actually found a 13% reduction in unconscious LGBTQ plus bias. And the researchers credit positive representations of LGBTQ plus characters on screen. So then I would love to kind of flip this around and ask you all, you know, in, in each of your experiences in kind of the work you have all been doing, how have you seen the landscape shift in the last handful of years? Um, I can go first. I think, you know, when I look at just the kinds of stories that are being put on screen these days in the last, what, two and a two years, year and a half, some of the splashiest TV shows, some of the TV shows that have been most celebrated have centered, you know, queer, trans, non-binary characters, young, also young people stories. So I think part of that is is proof of of the the shifting landscape and I don't and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like Gen Z you know I'm millennial so I like to pat my our our generation on the back but I really think a lot of it has to do with uh, Gen Z and like the younger the younger generations are so much I think they're smarter <laughs> than millennials and 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 you know and they have they know how to use media, they know how to use technology in a way. And so I, I do think that they push the culture forward and they demand better. And, and so I think that has a lot to do with it as well. And I think, you know, again, during Obama's presidency, like marriage equality was finally the law of the land. And I think that's why the marriage between culture and policy is, is important because I think, just having that be the case normalized it in a way and it's not it's not 100% secure right there's still people who are fighting to limit the way that queer people live their lives all the time but i think that's one begets the other and it's just this constant back and and forth kind of cycle and so hopefully we continue to see that cycle impact the other and I'll just throw in just as a, I guess my experience as a broadcaster and talking to other broadcasters, there has been an unbelievable change in the last, you know, 15 years. And it's 
been gradual, but in the last five years, so much quicker. And I think a big part of that, because, you know, as a public broadcaster, it's kind of an interesting position you're in. You want to be doing, you know, most people who work in public broadcasting are there because they want to make a difference. Making money is less important to them. They want to make a difference. They want to have impact in kids' lives. And so you're in this position where you're trying to be, you know, tell the best stories and educate kids and understanding that kids are going to learn no matter what you're doing, whether you think it's educational or not, kids are going to learn. But you're also a public broadcaster, which means that the public thinks that they own you. And everything that you do wrong every mistake that you make they can call in so i obviously have seen an evolution from you know postcards from buster which was really the first first controversial animated show that showed a lesbian couple where you know it was you know taken off the air it's still off the air i think in a number of states in in America and um, and then seeing the evolution of adding more like we were always trying to add more stories and I think where we had early success was in the shorts between the programs the interstitials um, where you know I think it's it's celebrating stories in live action in real kids lives where you're basically doing mini documentaries where kids are celebrating what's important to them Um, they happen to be karate a girl who does karate and her two dads take her to karate was just kind of a nice uh, transition way, I think, to kind of start telling those stories. But I can tell you the difference between how many people called in, say 2000 versus, you know, 2015, it's a dramatic difference. And my role at the CBC in 2015, it was the, the, the complaints were more actually, interestingly, more religious based around energy, anything that felt very occult. So for example, we had a character who said, when you move with me, you give me energy. It was a preschool show about physical literacy and people felt that that was conjuring up the devil and those sorts of things. But I definitely saw a decrease in terms of concerns. And I think that was a really fantastic sign because public broadcasting is a total, because you're gonna get the people who have very strong opinions about what they see on screen calling in because of the, the ownership piece. Yeah, so I I hate to be the pessimist of the group, (laughs) Um, but I'm going to speak specifically to kids media. So like bridge and preschool in particular, um, because I do think that a a lot of like a really incredible strides have been made in like adult um, in the adult media world, especially in YA, young adult and teen um, shows. But in terms of like kids animation and preschool, the progress has been small and slow and I mean I think that we're we're starting to amass like a small body of work that has LGBTQ plus characters and storylines but it is very few and very far between and very very rarely actually made by a queer person um and I I see I see a lot of really good like efforts starting to be made. And I do think we're about to kind of like see a little bit of a boom in this, which is exciting and cool. Um, but I really think there's so much ground to still be covered. I mean, I don't think that we have a trans lead in a kid's show anywhere. <laughs> and I mean, anyone please correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I just think there's still such a long way to go. And we have like a 
yeah, a list of characters. But, you know, every time I'm in a like, queer parent Facebook group, you know, that like is sharing all of these resources and I'm in front of an audience and I'm talking about these things. And should I be showing my kid? Where is there a show with two dads? What can I be showing to my young person? Books, TV shows, movies. And it's the same like five titles. Um, so yeah, I, I'm waiting for just so many more things that I can throw at those folks. So we have a plethora of options because not everyone is going to see themselves in the characters that do, that do exist right now. And most of them are honestly supporting characters. So yeah, to be a little bit of a pessimist, I just think that we have a long ways to go. I, and I don't think you're being a pessimist. I think that's an actual truth. And I want to just make sure you understand what I was saying was parents' attitudes are shifting. But what we're seeing on the screens is not. I think it's, you know what, you made me think of this. Somebody sent me that link to The Insider, which has a list of all the LGBTQ characters and cartoons. And, you know, it basically says, you know, something about, oh, this here, we bust the myth that kids can't handle inclusion. And I think that we have to put together a little compendium. And when I look by the way, at the characters that are on the list, uh, there are, you know, characters who are out and you're aware, but a lot of them, it's inferred. Oh, I think maybe this character is a lesbian. So it goes on the list. So there's no question we need to do so much more. It would be great to have a a number of live action shows, a number of animated shows, puppet shows. Like, it'd be great to have a, a, a lovely plethora of content so we aren't doing exactly what you're saying and when I saw that insider update with all of the the shows I thought oh my gosh that we have to make a list is indicative of where we are so there's no question we have a long way to go and I think right now like part of it now is how do we how do we engage content creators to make that next step and I think some of the challenges are similar to people being afraid, like people are afraid of screwing up, I think is part of it. And then I do think just, I'm going to be totally honest, on a business side of things, you know, there are some people who are concerned about, you know, international sales. Those, that's just, you know, the reality of, of, of the business kind of things. And I think our, our job is like, how do, how do we jump over and how do we help uh, content creators so that they, they don't have those fears and they take more risks. It's very interesting to see, I mean, just the capitalist mentality around all, all of this, obviously, in the business side, what you're speaking to, Kim, and everyone looking for, you know, where's the precedent? Where's the data? Where are the stats on this audience that we're not serving, but we don't have any data on? And I mean, you know, I think that, I think that it's out there. We're just not looking in the right places. And you know the you know being scared of things. I just it's <laughs> it's a frustrating conversation to have, right? Because it's about it's and being scared of messing up. You know, it's about putting the people who are experts in that seat and paying queer people and getting people who are queer on your staff. And you know, we're obviously not no one queer person is a monolith of the experience, but like there need to be more queer people in the industry itself to be helping make those decisions. So it's less about convincing someone that this is an audience that's worthwhile and a story that's worthwhile and a character that's worthwhile. It's about telling people like, this is my human experience and this is what I wanted when I was young and this is what I know families today want. And so I think that it's, it's, about, it's about a lack of curiosity, I think, to that end. Yeah, you know, I've, I've learned so much from both of you in like the last few minutes of y'all responding to this question. And I think, you know, it's like Lynn said, the capitalism of it all, like the, of wanting that precedent of proving like, okay, if we make a film or if we make a TV show about this experience, like 
what's proof that people are going to watch it? And I always find that interesting because it's like, well, those people exist in the world and and they want to see their experiences represented on screen. And maybe we don't have the quote unquote proof of it or as much proof of it content made for younger audiences when it comes to, to showcasing queer characters and stuff like that. But we have it for you know, we have it for stories about Black families. We have it for stories about Latinx families. So it's like, obviously the trend keeps showing us that if you make a thing about a group that historically has been underrepresented on screen and also just in the West or whatever you want to call it, like people will show up, people will enjoy those stories. But also I, you know, creator, as a consumer, I've started to push back on this idea that of like, for example, what's a black storyline? Like I live as a black person. I have my experiences as a black person. I don't think that when I'm watching television, I want to see quote unquote black storylines. And often the black storylines that are offered to me, you know, when you see like, here's the black stories on like Hulu and stuff like that. I'm like, that's not the kind of shit I want to see. What I just want to see is stories about black people living their lives and having their, their full breadth of their humanity expressed on screen and I think that's the same for LGBTQ plus characters right and so part of it is pushing back against that it's a kind of story and instead that those characters like you can just tell any kind of story but if you tell the story through the lens of those characters um, and that they should be told you know from a younger perspective an older perspective a POC like all of that kind of stuff is the thing that will make it feel authentic, but it doesn't have to be like, this is the queer storyline or this is the queer, like I think pushing back against that. And that's something that, you know, where I think we're probably five years behind that understanding of how we tell stories. Blown away by everything you all are saying. And thank you for, you know, sharing ideas and and kind of sharing opposing ideas and and supporting each other. And it's just, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because Everything you've all said is just really important. Um, a really quick reminder for our new listeners, today's discussion is on LGBTQ plus representation and is being recorded to be turned into a podcast. I am Sheena Brevig. I use the pronouns she, her, CSS junior fellow, filmmaker and relationship coach, and I am moderating the conversation today. For our guests, we have Linz Amer, they, them, founder of Queer Kid Creative. We have Michelle Denise Jackson, who is a screenwriter and producer for shows like Generation on HBO Max and Queen Sugar on the Oprah Winfrey Network. And Kim Wilson, who is a director, co-founder of One Fish, Two Fish Consulting and longtime children's media professional. Really quick, Michelle, what is your preferred pronoun? She, her, or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And what about you, Kim? She, her. Awesome. I know. I, I say she, her, but they, them also I'm comfortable with. Anyway, um, for, for our listeners, if anyone in the audience would like to ask a question, please feel free to use the raise your hand function and we will bring you up on stage. We would love to have questions from the audience. I just want to pipe in because I, I think it's really important what you just said, Michelle. And so I want to reiterate it, and then I'm going to I want to give a quote because I think it's so impactful. It is so important when we're telling stories. I just think it's so important what you said about this notion. We cannot be making the stories always about that one thing. Oh, this person's uh, trans, this person's black, this person's indigenous, whatever it happens to be. There's an amazing quote from Wilson Cruz, who's one of the the co-stars of The Bravest Night. And he describes the show's dad couple this way. 
We're not explaining homosexuality or same gender sexuality. We're talking about the love of a family. And I always joke around, you know, I, I, sadly, I have a 13 year old son. And because I work in media, I'm always talking about all of this stuff. And I always say, that, you know, it's like, I really want to see some characters who are as boring and normal as we are, because, you know, we're boring and normal. And that's what you don't see just the, you know, being part of the community doing the regular things. And I love that quote from the star, because it's really such an important thing. You know, I remember, I, I'll just do one quick anecdote as we wait for questions. But I remember when my son was about five, and of course, I'm, you know, he has a lesbian for a mother and he had this really great pal that he was friends with for such a long time. And I remember one day he came home from school and he said, you know, I said to Lucas, let's get married. And he got so mad and ran away. And I thought, this is the problem, right? This is the problem because we're not normalizing these families. And I can say all I want to my son. I can say till the end of time that we are a normal family. And there are so many different families made up in so many different ways. But unless you see it, unless you, it's reinforced and you see it, especially when you're watching all of this media, it's, it's a little bit more challenging. It's what you said at the beginning, Michelle, about being uh, a woman who didn't see, you know, a lesbian who didn't see herself reflected on screen. I had the same experience and it's really a really ch uh, big challenge. Hi, listeners. We hope that you're enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us and share it with your friends. Your support is greatly appreciated. This conversation happened on Clubhouse. Learn about our future monthly Clubhouse events by following the Children's Tech and Media Club. Now, back to the conversation. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, Kim. That is amazing. And uh, I'm just going to add in one more thing before we switch over to questions. CSS released a report within the last year, a, diver a di diversity report. And we, you know, basically proved that if movies have authentic, inclusive diversity, more so in regards to race, they profit better, right? Like people are leaving money on the table when they don't have authentic diversity. So I, you know, kind of to your point, Lynn's about, there isn't, you know, kind of where are the stats? Maybe that is what we need too, because Kim, you are right. Like the industry is a business and we, you know, sometimes that is the angle we have to take to convince people that these things are important. But uh, everything you all have said is just so spot on around just having more stories about just your average everyday family. Anyway, so uh, you have the first question. Would love to have you join us. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak at this is such a wonderful topic. And I love coming to this clubhouse every Sunday to, to be a part of this. So I just want was mostly wanted to say something a little bit on my experience. I, um, you know, I kind of, uh, I grew up you know, in almost a lucky state. I, um, I, you know, I definitely was one of these kids who really couldn't hide who they were and was definitely a little bit more effeminate as a child and, and had a lot of challenges in that regard, but was never able to be anything less than who they were. But um, I was very lucky because I ended up going to a uh, private arts boarding school in uh, Massachusetts, which was like this little haven inside of like a sea of mass holes. And, you know, where everyone was open and it was almost a 85% queer campus. And it was just, I was very lucky. But even with that, in regards, I was still hesitant to be able to be authentic and come out to myself. And that was very much inspired by the media that I grew up watching. And, um, you know, in any time I would see a gay character, they would probably end with this tragic life or they would um, be the villains of the story. And so there was definitely, I was definitely, it took a toll on me. But 
I think, you know, it's been 20 years that I've been living my authentic self. And, um, and I felt more that I'm at my best when I'm able to be myself and I'm able to, it makes me a better writer, makes me a better creator and a kids media professional teacher. And so recently I had this situation where I found out that I was, I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. So I was, um, I found out that I was disabled. And so what was a really, for me, because of understanding this piece of that it's important to be your authentic self. It was kind of a no brainer about coming out of the closet as disabled and sharing my experience because I knew that it was important and inherent and just very important for my art and to, as a creator to be able to write as myself and in turn share that with um, the rest of the world. And so that's my main point is, specifically on why queer media is important for everyone is it makes you more accepting for when other situations come out. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, Ty. And, and, you know, I think what's interesting about, you know, the conversation that we're having is for me, I feel like I didn't grow up seeing that many like queer portrayals that helped me discover myself because of the queer stories I saw, most of the time they were white people, right? And so I think in the same way that like helping to see, it's like that intersectional piece is also super, super important. And I think what is happening is we are really good about like isolating the one experience. So we like, we'll have our queer stories, we'll have our black stories, we'll have our Latinx stories, we'll have our disabled stories. But so most people don't live their lives like with one singular, no one lives their lives with one singular identity and no one lives their lives oftentimes with one singular identity that has been marginalized or othered. And so for me, I think the beauty of what you just said is it makes me, I now I wanna see more queer stories where like there's the intersection between like being queer and being disabled like that you know which kind of speaks to what Kim said before is like those are the two kind of um things that are are still lagging behind some of the other identities that we're seeing stories being told about more and I I just think it's not it's it's important to not lose that piece that the intersectionality and the fact that people don't just occupy one identity that those those things should all be we need all of those stories and we should have those stories happening simultaneously, not siloed. Yeah. And just really quick. Um, I know we have other questions to get to, but I I'm ADHD. And so as a neurodivergent person as well, who's also queer, strictable part of my life, right? Like that's how my brain works, you know? And um, they're just throwing out some t- statistics that are, um, I actually find really interesting is that the amount of people who are autistic, who also identify as queer is like incredibly high. I think it's something like 70%. So if you're talking about queerness, you're talking about about yeah, what Michelle just said, like intersectionality, multiple marginalizations, because queerness is, it doesn't matter what race you are, what ethnicity you are, what your ability status is. Like there are queer people who identify as any kind of identifier is a human so it we really when you're telling queer stories you're telling stories of the world right so i think that that's just important to keep in mind thanks lens i hadn't really thought about how pervasive queerness can be um you know globally and i think about that with disability a lot because disability is the one minority group that any of us can join at any time 
thank you for making that connection um, in terms of kind of just how global this is and how unifying it can be. Um, let's see. Is it Jadiel? Hey, yeah, it's Hadiel. Hadiel, excuse me. Go for it. No worries. It's a tough one. Um, but yeah, hey, everyone, you know, great discussion. I've, I've learned so much. I just had a quick question. I actually have a show in development with the network, and I'm very glad that they've supported my inclusion of bisexual and two-spirited protagonists who are also, to Kim's point, you know, fully realized and nuanced characters in their own right. But I'm wondering whether it would also be beneficial or problematic to have an incidental homophobic character so that our bi and two-us characters, you know, have a chance to educate them. Uh, but more importantly, any audience members who actually share their views. And uh, just for context, it also is a teen show. So I'm thinking our audience won't be impressionable enough to actually adopt that homophobic foil's opinions or anything like that but also open to your thoughts if you think otherwise. And yeah, that's it. I'll let you go ahead. I personally, I don't think you need to have like, and that's something that you see a lot in television shows where, for example, when I watched the first season of Pose, like I could tell that that character was put in there. Like we need the straight white man's perspective of like, because I don't, you know, I know a little bit about that backstory of that show. What Stephen Connell's was trying to do was a little bit different than what, what that first season was. And it didn't harm the show, but I, I don't, he was the least interesting character to me. He's the character who doesn't, wasn't in season two or season three. And so I personally, I don't think you need that. I think instead, and I think what is often more, um, to me more interesting in nuanced storytelling is when you have those characters bumping up against the same thing that queer people bump up against in everyday life. And it's not always those those like interpersonal dynamics of homophobia, but like the more nuanced ones, the more systemic ones and how and how you see characters respond to that but also respond in a very specific way that it's not just about the struggle, but it's about the joy. Um, when I think of my own experiences as a queer woman of color, um, as a fat queer woman of color, I often, like for me, it's not just about like, oh, how hard things are and things are hard sometimes, but it's about like the joy and the community and the very specific um, kind of joy that comes from like, I'm, I'm living in this really fucked up world at, at times but I still am very insistent in being happy and taking up space. To me, I think that that personally is more interesting. And I think also if you're working with development execs who are saying, well, you need this kind of character, you know, put, I, you have every right as the creator to push back on that and to say, you know, we've seen that before. Like in, in so much of the storytelling that we've often seen, we've seen there's the homophobic characters, there's the transphobic characters, there's instances of homophobic violence or, or transphobic violence. And like to move away from that while not ignoring that that kind of stuff happens in the world. But like, I don't need to see that on screen all the time to understand that that exists in the world, that there are other types of violences that people go through um I think I want for me as a storyteller I'm trying to move into to portraying what those are like and I just wanted to throw something in just quickly about this I think just and this is kind of to what Michelle's saying and then just a little bit about a couple of rules or a couple of things I like to think about when you know when I'm helping make content or talking to content creators I think part of what we have to add is mindfulness to the storytelling process and the storytelling business the whole media business is built on uh, production budgets 
and production deadlines. Everything's about, we need to get this done by this time. We have to keep things moving. And when you're talking about including authentic voices in the process, sometimes it's like, okay, so how are we gonna make all of this happen? And I think part of it is just building in into the process of production. You know, when you're telling these amazing stories, when you're wanting to tell authentic stories, to add that mindfulness into the production schedule itself. We wanna stop after we get to this point, after we've written, you know, you know, obviously the Bible, but different points to just take a moment to stop and reflect and look and see if you're where you want to be. I think we're, it's an industry of speed and getting things done on budget. And sometimes we don't take those moments to look at our characters, to really take a step back and think, because when you're working on a project, you're immersed, as we all know, you're totally in love with it. You're immersed in it. And sometimes you need to take those moments of mindfulness to take a step back and just say, is this, is this the story I want to tell? Thank you so much, Hadiel, for that question, and, and Michelle and Kim for your answers. I'm just loving this conversation so much. Um, also, Hadiel, thank you for that, because that was close to another question I was thinking about, and um, you just really brought up some really interesting points from our guests. Boris, uh, would love to have you share your question. No, absolutely. Thanks for bringing me on stage, and it's uh, so nice to virtually meet all of you. Um, this might have been answered, so if if it has, um, my apologies. But um, a constant theme that I've heard um, is the word authentic. And just from a writing point of view, or for, for me as a writer, could you offer some guidelines um, to help craft stories that have authentic representation or things that I can keep in mind as I expand the stories that I tell and make sure that I'm capturing, you know, as many voices as possible, but doing so in a kind of a truthful and authentic manner. And thank you. I just have to say this audience is amazing because that was going to be one of my questions as well. So um, you all have some resources, some things to keep in mind to support content creators. Yeah, I mean, I can speak to this a little bit. You can hire consultants like me <laughs> to help make your work more queer. And uh, I mean, in terms of like telling authentic queer stories when you're maybe not a queer person yourself, um, I, I and I think this like goes along with like, you know, own voices and like write what you know, all of that kind of writerly practice, right? Of like making sure you're not you know staying in your lane a little bit and making sure you're not like trying to like you know if your protagonist is like a bisexual woman and like the story is about her being a bisexual woman like maybe that's not the right story for like a cis straight person to tell but also like making sure like you know a world that you're building has queerness in it i think that that's the most important way to be kind of enfolding uh, this into your work if you have ensemble characters or and supporting characters like you know whatever <laughs> authenticity you can have in there with having you know people who identify in different ways and who have families that are structured differently especially in kids media and people who use different pronouns and i think that it's about telling the human experience in a diverse way and it's not necessarily about like how do I tell this story so like queerly and authentically you know again I'm gonna keep saying this is like hire queer people when you have a budget <laughs> um, but 
yeah, I think it's it's a tough question, especially when you're um, maybe not coming as a part of the queer community yourself. But it's important to be thinking about, of course. And I, I would just add to that, I think one of the challenges is always we talk a lot about the writer's room. And, you know, when we are, you know, t- talking about race or gender in the beginning, it's like, OK, we've got our woman in the room. So we've got all these white male writers, but we now have a woman. Hey, we did it. And I think one of the things we have to remember is one queer person cannot tell every queer story. So if you want, you know, you have to have authentic representation. You know, it might be a non-binary person, it might be a lesbian, or it might be, you know, so, you know, recently I was asked to consult on something and, you know, there's a gay black male character. Well, I happen to be, you know, a queer old lady. So I'm so far from that. So I, you know, we have to expand our consulting team to bring people in who can help tell those authentic stories. And I think that's part of it. You can't just have that one person in the room and say, oh, yeah, OK, we've got the, the gay person, so we're good to go. I think that's part of it, too. Yeah, exactly what Kim and Lynn said. And I think, you know, there are online resources that you can use um, in writers rooms that I've been in, but also for my own work. So I'm not getting getting things, you know, no story is ever going to represent every single person's experience nor should they and there's always going to be someone who's going to look at it and be like I share that same identity as that character and that has not been my experience but there's you know there's general things that you can do to make sure that it feels more responsible more authentic so there are there are organizations like color of change glad respectability um there is uh you know an organization that's called think tank for inclusion and equity it, the acronyms are TTIE, and they release these really awesome fact sheets every few months about specific identities and specific experiences that like do's and don'ts and what people would want, want to see more of that I've, I've thought have been really helpful. And I've brought those into writers rooms that I've, I've worked on. I'm like, these are things that we should steer away from and, and trying to tell these kind of stories. I like, I think Kim said, um, I often... I have been (laughs) the lone black person in the room, the lone black woman in the room. And I don't like it because I feel like I'm made to speak for an entire race that even I, I don't represent all, all black people. You know, there's, it's a multi-billion person diaspora that spans all content. You know, it's, it's just impossible to do that. And so sometimes it's just like, people always think I'm rude when I say this, but like Google is your friend and just like looking and re- and diversifying what you read and what you watch. And, and I think sometimes that can be really helpful as well. And looking at who are who do who does have those identities and what stories are they telling and how are they talking about their own work can be really informative in your own praxis as as a storyteller and as a creator so have been part of these diversity workshops uh, where we've been working with studios and you know sometimes these are oftentimes kind of people that are very high up end up being kind of cishet white men and for them to use their power to bring in queer voices that, and, and, you know, of color and, you know, all the different voices that we need in there to Lindsay's point of like hire queer people. Like, you know, that, that is an important thing that when you do have that space and power, it is, it is really amazing to get to use that in those ways. Thank you all so much for being here and having this incredible conversation with us. I wish we could keep going. You know, I I shared that it's 109 degrees, but now I'm awake and I'm like just here for this conversation. So thank you all so much. I will hand it off back to Dr. Colleen 
Colleen Russo Johnson. Wow, this conversation has just honestly been incredible. I I love the the questions, but I also love just the conversation at the beginning too between you all and the different perspectives. And I just want to reiterate that, Lynn's, you absolutely are not being pessimistic. You're being realistic. You're being a realist, and and we have to do that. We have to. This is the group that will say things the way they are, and because we have to call out. Uh, the problems in order to change them. And, and this group, as I look at the audience and these the speakers, like fully, I have full confidence that we can uh, be change makers and let's just continue to connect and collaborate and, and support each other. And you all are doing amazing work. And I applaud you. And just a shout out if you haven't checked out Lindsay's work, please do uh, check it out. Uh, Lindsay, do you want to give a quick plug for your content? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so I, it's my web series, Queer Kids Stuff. Um, just Google it. It will come up, I promise. QueerKidsStuff.com. It's LGBTQ plus and social justice um, media and educational resources for families and kids and really all ages. Um, there's also a podcast where I interview activists, um, kids and youth. And I also just do consulting and I'm a writer and lots of projects in the work. I'm writing a book right now. Um, but yeah. And the reason I say that is because uh, Linda's stuff is specifically for kids as young as preschoolers, toddlers, babies. Like, it really, we when we look at the content, I, I so agree that we've done a lot of great stuff for the teen audiences. And Hadiel, I'm so, so thrilled to hear that that's the direction you're, you're going with your show. But we'd still need a lot more uh, for the younger audience um, to, to show them real life. So thank you so much. And please check out uh, Michelle's content as well. Uh, it's incredible. And, and Kim, uh, Michelle, Lynn, they're all available. Um, I, I believe you are Michelle as well for consulting. So please do reach out to them if you have work you want them to advise on. And with that, thank you so much. And we will see you back um, soon for more of these Children's Tech and Media Clubhouse Sunday nights. That concludes this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. A very special thanks to our wonderful guests, Lynn's Amer, Michelle Denise Jackson, and Kim Wilson, and our moderator, Sheena Brevig. If you have a minute, rate and review us. And if you have any friends who you think would like the show, share it with them. If you are interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, with special thanks to Jim Ools for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, Nira Liebenthal, Annie Myers, Dr. Colleen Russo-Johnson, and Jeremy Shing. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.